A cup of sake beneath the cherry trees. It is a most wonderful comfort to sit alone beneath a lamp, books spread before you, and commune with someone from the past whom you have never met. What strange folly to beguile the tedious hours like this all day before my inkstone, jotting down at random the idle thoughts that cross my mind. To be born into this world of ours, it seems, brings with it so much to long for. The rank of emperor is, of course, unspeakably exalted. Even his remotest descendants fill one with awe, having sprung from no mere human seed. Needless to say, the great ruler, and even the lesser nobles who are granted attendant guards to serve them, are also thoroughly magnificent. Their children and grandchildren, too, are still impressive even if they have come down in the world. As for those of lesser degree, although they may make good according to their rank and put on airs and consider themselves special, they are really quite pathetic. No one could be less enviable than a monk. Say Shonagon wrote that people treat them like unfeeling lumps of wood, and this is perfectly true. And there is nothing impressive about the way those with power with, will throw their weight around. As the holy man Soga, I think, remarked, fame and fortune are an affliction for a monk and violate the Buddhist teachings. There is much to admire, though, in a dedicated recluse. It is most important to present well in both appearance and bearing. One never tires of spending time with someone whose speech is attractive and pleasing to the ear and who does not talk overmuch. There is nothing worse <clears throat> than when someone you thought impressive reveals himself as lacking in sensibility. Status and personal appearance are things one is born with, after all, but surely the inner man can always be improved with effort. It is a great shame to see a fine, upstanding fellow fall in with low and ugly types who easily run rings around him, and all for want of cultivation and learning. A man should learn the orthodox literature write poetry in Chinese as well as Japanese, and study music, and should ideally also be a model to others in his familiarity with ceremonial court customs and precedents. He should write a smooth, fair hand, carry the rhythm well when songs are sung at banquets, and when offered sake, make a show of declining it but nevertheless be able to drink. No matter how splendid in every way, 
There is something dreadfully lacking in a man who does not pursue the art of love. He is, to coin the old phrase, like a beautiful wine cup that lacks a base. The elegant thing is for a lover to wander aimlessly hither and yon, drenched with the frosts or dews of night, tormented by fears of his parents' reproaches and the censure of the world, the heart beset with uncertainties. Yet for all that sleeping often alone, though always fitfully, On the other hand, he shouldn't lose himself to love too thoroughly or gain the reputation of being putty in women's hands. If our life did not fade and vanish like the dews of Adashino's graves or the drifting smoke from Toribe's burning grounds, but lingered on forever, how little the world would move us it is the ephemeral nature of things that makes them wonderful. Among all living creatures, it is man that lives longest. The brief day fly dies before evening. Summer's cicada knows neither spring nor autumn. What a glorious luxury it is to taste life to the full for even a single year. If you constantly regret life's passing, even a thousand long years will seem but the dream of night. Why cling to a life which cannot last forever, only to arrive at ugly old age? The longer you live, the greater your share of shame. It is most seemly to die before forty at the latest. Once past this age, people develop an urge to mix with others without the least shame at their own unsightliness. They spend their dwindling years fussing adoringly over their children and grandchildren, hoping to live long enough to see them make good in the world. Their greed for the things of this world grows ever deeper till they lose all ability to be moved by life's pathos and become really quite disgraceful. Nothing so distracts the human heart as sexual desire. How foolish men's hearts are. Aroma, for instance, is a mere transient thing, yet a whiff of delightful incense from a woman's robes will always excite a man, though he knows perfectly well that it is just a passing effect of robe smoking. The wizard priest of Kume is said to have lost his supernatural powers when he spied the white legs of a woman as she squatted washing clothes. I can quite believe it. After all, the beautiful, plump, glowing flesh of a woman's arm or leg is quite a different matter from some artificial allurement. Beautiful hair on a woman will draw a man's gaze, but we can judge what manner of person she is and the nature of her sensibility, 
even by simply hearing her speak from behind a screen. A mere unintended glimpse of a woman can distract a man's heart. And if a woman sleeps fitfully and is prepared to endure impossible difficulties, heedless of her own well-being, it is all because her mind is on love. Yes, indeed, the ways of love lie deep in us. Many are the allurements of our senses, yet we can distance ourselves from them all. But among them, this alone seems without exception to plague us all, young and old, wise and foolish. So it is that we have those tales of how a woman's hair can snare and hold even an elephant, or how the rutting stag of autumn will always be drawn by the sound of a flute made from the wood of a woman's shoe. We must discipline ourselves to be constantly prudent and vigilant, lest we fall into this trap. It is a great error to be superior to others. It is such pride as this that makes a man appear a fool, makes him abused by others, and invites disaster. A man who is truly versed in any art will of his own accord be clearly aware of his own deficiency, and therefore, his ambition being never satisfied, he ends by never being proud. If you must take care that your opinions do not differ in the least from those of the person with whom you are talking, you might just as well be alone. In everything, no matter what it may be, uniformity is undesirable. Leaving something incomplete makes it interesting and gives one the feeling that there is room for growth. Someone once told me, even when they built the imperial palace, they always leave one place unfinished. In both Buddhist and Confucian writings of the philosophers of former times, there are also many missing chapters. A certain man who was leaning archery, learning archery faced the target with two arrows in his hand, but his instructor said, a beginner ought never to have a second arrow, for as long as he relies on the other, he will be careless with his first one. At each shot, he ought to think that he is bound to settle it with this particular shaft at any cost. Doubtless, he would not intentionally act foolishly before his instructor with one arrow when he has but a couple. But, though he may not himself realize that he is being careless, his teacher knows it. You should bear this advice in mind on every occasion. In the same way, he who follows the path of learning thinks confidently in the evening that the morning is coming, 
and in the morning that the evening is coming, and that he will then have plenty of time to study more carefully. Less likely still is he to recognize the waste of a single moment. How hard indeed is it to do a thing at once? Now, the instant that you think of it. What a strange, demented feeling it gives me when I realize that I have spent whole days before this inkstone with nothing better to do, jotting down at random whatever nonsensical thoughts have entered my head. Are we to look at cherry blossoms only in full bloom, the moon only when it is cloudless? To long for the moon while looking on the rain, to lower the blinds and be unaware of the passing of the spring. These are even more deeply moving. Branches about to blossom or gardens strewn with flowers are worthier of our attention. Is there any of the usual social occasions which it is not difficult to avoid? But if you decide that you cannot very well ignore your worldly obligations, and that you will therefore carry them out properly, the demands on your time will multiply, bringing physical hardship and mental tension. In the end, you will spend your whole life pointlessly entangled in petty obligations. The day is ending, the way is long. My life already begins to stumble on its journey. The time has come to abandon all ties. I shall not keep promises nor consider decorum. Let anyone who cannot understand my feelings feel free to call me mad. Let him think I am out of my senses, that I am devoid of human warmth. Abuse will not bother me. I shall not listen if praised. Even those who have an air of being wise judge of others only and do not know themselves. It cannot be in reason to know others and not to know oneself. Therefore, one who knows himself may be said to a man who has knowledge. Though our looks be unpleasing, we do not know it. We do not know that our skill is poor. We do not know that our station is lowly. We do not know that we grow old in years. We do not know that sickness attacks us. We do not know that death is near. We do not know that we have not attained the way we follow. We do not know what evil is in our own persons, still less what calumny comes from without. As a rule, the tales which get abroad in the world are false. People always exaggerate things, more so when months and years have passed and the place is distant, do they relate any story they please 
or even it put down in writing, so that at least it becomes established fact. Anyhow, it is a world that is full of lies, and we shall make no mistake if we make up our minds that what we hear is really not at all strange and unusual, but merely exaggerated in the telling. Looking back on months and years of intimacy, to feel that your friend, while you still remember the moving words you exchanged, is yet growing distant and living in a world apart. All this is sadder far than partings brought by death. Should we only be interested to view the cherry blossoms at their peak? Or the moon when it is full. To yearn for the moon when it is raining, or to be closed up in one's room, failing to notice the passing of spring, is far more moving. Treetops just before they break into blossom, or gardens strewn with fallen flowers, are just as worthy of notice. There is much to see in them. Is it any less wonderful to say, in the preface to a poem, that it was written on viewing the cherry blossoms just after they had peaked, or that something had prevented one from seeing them altogether, than to say, on seeing the cherry blossoms? Of course not. Flowers fall and the moon sets. These are the cyclic things of the world, but still there are brutish people who say that there is nothing left worth seeing and fail to appreciate. Things that seem too common. Too many furnishings where one is sitting. Too many brushes around an inkstone. Too many Buddhas in a home chapel. Too many stones and trees and bushes in a garden courtyard. Too many children and grandchildren in a house. Too many words used when talking to people. Too much praise for oneself in a written petition. Things that don't offend good taste, even if numerous, books.